Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. I want to ask you to consider something today before we go any further in the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to consider receiving Jesus as your teacher. You may have received Jesus as your Savior. Have you received Jesus as your teacher? Because there are many sources we can turn to for wisdom about life. Uh, We can turn to the latest self-help books. We can turn to professional counselors. We can turn to conferences and seminars. We can turn to friends and family. We can turn to psychics. Uh, Actually, most psychic stores I'm aware of have gone out of business, uh, which is kind of interesting. You think they would have seen that coming. If we're looking for wisdom about life, we should probably go to the wisest person who ever lived, right? That's why we're studying the Sermon on the Mount. But a crucial question before we continue in this series is, have you received Jesus as your teacher? Now, let me say a word or two about Jesus's method of teaching because I think this is important. Uh, This is important for this entire series because if you don't understand how Jesus taught, then you won't understand what Jesus taught. If you don't understand how he teaches, uh, you won't understand what he's teaching. I think a lot of the things that Jesus taught get misunderstood because uh, because we misunderstand his general approach. If you're a teacher, uh, you know the number one question students ask. I mean, you pour out your heart to teach them. You seek to give them truth. You you know, as students will always ask the same question. Is this going to be on the final? Like, do I have to know this? The general model for teaching in our culture is kind of an information dump. Uh, A student is like an empty vessel and the teacher's job is to fill them with information. So students just kind of passively sit there and get filled with information and then they wanna know, is this gonna be on the final? Like, will I have to reproduce this? Because we don't want to have to think too much in education. Like we want lists so that when I master the list, I can kind of spit it back and pass the test. Well, Jesus didn't teach in lists so that we can pass a test. Jesus taught so that our lives would be changed. He generally teaches against the backdrop of some situation that's going on around him. Or very commonly, Jesus teaches against what might be called uh, the general prevailing assumptions of that day. There used to be a section in Newsweek magazine called conventional wisdom. Now, very often what Jesus does is to give a teaching that's designed to show the falsity of the conventional wisdom of the world as opposed to the kingdom of God. Very often that's his method in teaching. And if we miss that, we will miss the point. You see, here's the thing, and this is just so critical. When Jesus teaches, he's not giving us laws. He's not giving us rules. He's telling us what it it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And life in the kingdom of God is hard to convey because it runs smack uh, into our tendency to kind of legalize things or try to uh, manipulate our spirituality. You know, like I want to define my righteousness. I want to prove that I'm a righteous person. 
This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 38. You have heard that it was said. And one of the nice things about the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus underlines the little conventional wisdom piece with this phrase. You have heard that it was said. This is the conventional wisdom of the world. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. A friend of mine was telling me about a guy he knows, a very bright guy who had a relative, a brother-in-law, who was chronically asking for money. Like every time he saw him, he was asking for money. And it was clear that it was not a helpful thing to keep giving him money. I mean, it was just gonna enable bad behavior. This guy was talking about Jesus's teaching and he said, I know Jesus said every time someone asks, you're supposed to give to them. But if we took Jesus seriously, I would always be giving to my brother-in-law whatever he asks for, and I just can't do that. Now see, this is a very bright guy, but he misunderstood the basic nature of Jesus' teaching. He believed that fully following Jesus was probably a good thing, but it was just not possible in the real world. Jesus had these beautiful ideas, but if you ever really tried to do them all the time, you'd just go crazy. Now, Jesus is not saying here, every time someone asks you for money, whatever the situation, always give them whatever they ask for and more. He's not giving a legalistic rule that you apply mechanically in every situation. What he's saying is, in our world, we tend to think someone helps you, you help them back. Like someone hurts you, you hurt them back. That's conventional wisdom. Well, sometimes we need to do something for someone who can't do anything back. I'll tell you something about Jesus that you may have never heard expressed quite like this before. Jesus was a really smart guy. He was. He knew what he was talking about. You see, we have to start thinking of him this way or else we put him in this kind of abstract, unreal category that causes us to think beautiful ideals but we don't believe it's possible to follow him in the real world. So we just need to reflect on the fact that among everything else he was, Jesus was also a really smart guy. And he really did think through what he was teaching. People didn't come back to him afterward and say to him, you know, hey Jesus, you know that shirt and coat thing? We tried it, it's just not realistic. I mean, people abuse us when we do that. And then have Jesus say, oh yeah, you know what, you're right. I should have thought more about that one. That didn't happen. Jesus was a really smart guy. So if you find yourself thinking, you know, this teaching is just not possible in this world, then you need to think it through again. You need to read Jesus on the assumption that he's a smart guy. We need to think about him this way. So let me ask you again. Have you received Jesus as your teacher? Because here's the deal. Many people receive Jesus as savior. But Jesus not only wants to be our savior, he wants to be our teacher. A little over a hundred years ago, a group arose who said Jesus was really nothing more than a teacher. They said he was a good man, he was a wise teacher, that we should pay attention to his teaching, that it represents the highest ethic and standard of morality and so on, but he's just a teacher. Okay, so that's one group. Now in response to that, 
another group arose and this other group said, no, no, this is not true. Jesus is not just a teacher. Jesus is much more than that. Jesus is divine. He's the son of God. He really did live. He really was crucified. He really rose again. He really ascended and is with the father today. Now, it's a good, it's a good thing that this group uh, was formed. I mean, we align ourselves with this group that says Jesus is more than a human being. He's the son of God. He was crucified and re resurrected and is fully alive today. But what I want us to understand is that in the process of forming this second group, a bad thing happened. And the bad thing is that Jesus' teaching ministry kind of got lost in the shuffle. Jesus' role as a teacher was tremendously de-emphasized. Uh, there was kind of an assumption that Jesus' only reason for coming was to die on the cross. And all that happened before then was just kind of filler. In fact, some within this group even took chunks of what Jesus taught, the Sermon on the Mount, for example, and said, it's not really for today, and just kind of threw it aside. So in the process of a good thing, which is saying that Jesus is more than human, a bad thing happened, which is that Jesus' teaching ministry tended to get neglected. It's very important that we understand this. During the years of Jesus' teaching, he was not treading water or killing time until it came time to him to go to the cross. The Gospels are very clear about this. From the Gospel of Mark, the, the first chapter, Mark 1, 21 and 22, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And it's here that Jesus begins his whole ministry of teaching about the kingdom of God. Jesus' teaching was central to his ministry. And an important point to note is that Jesus' followers trusted him as their teacher. It wasn't until after the cross and the resurrection that they put their trust in him as their savior. In other words, there is this bond that cannot be severed between Jesus's role as teacher and Jesus's role as savior. What happened is people would follow him and they would discover that he knew what he was talking about, that his teaching could be trusted. So they came to put their trust in him. And then after he was crucified and after he was resurrected and ascended, it was natural for them to put their trust in him as their savior. Jesus' teaching ministry is central to what he came to do. It was central then, and it is central now. Look at Luke 4, 16. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So Luke tells us that he came to Nazareth, and then he says this phrase, where he had been brought up. So now picture this little congregation at this, in this synagogue. Like these are people that he grew up with. In Matthew 13, Matthew's account of this story, part of the people's response to Jesus is like, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Most likely by this time Joseph had died, but Mary is still with them. And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Jesus had four brothers. Aren't all of his sisters with us? 
So you have to picture as Jesus is there, his family is among the people in the crowd. He's probably looking at his mother and his family as he says these words. And around the crowd are his teachers and his neighbors and the uh, people he made furniture for when he was working with his dad as a carpenter. Uh, Maybe Jesus made the benches that the people were sitting on in the synagogue. There are people in the crowd who knew him from when he was a kid, you know, people who he went to school with, uh, people he played Bible trivia with. Of course, he always won. So Jesus comes to his hometown and he takes the scrolls and he reads these beautiful words from Isaiah 61. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Luke writes that Jesus sat down. The writers of scripture mentioned several times that before Jesus teaches, he sat down. Uh, He sat down before he taught the Sermon on the Mount. And there's a significant reason why Luke mentions Jesus sat down. It's kind of a technical phrase. It's what a rabbi would do before a time of formal teaching. The teaching posture for a rabbi was the sitting position. And this is Luke's way of saying uh, that Jesus' profession is teaching. Jesus is a teacher. And I hope you're getting this. Teaching is a critical role of Jesus' ministry. It was critical to his ministry in that day, and it is critical to his ministry to you and to me today. He is the teacher. And then Luke says, when he sits down, the people know he's going to teach. Verse 20, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Like, how's he going to do? Is he nervous? Is he going to do well? They expect him to do what teachers would normally do, to offer some commentary on the passage. You know, here's what some rabbi would say about it. Here's what someone else would say about it. Here's my advice on how to apply the text. Now, imagine their shock when Jesus sits down and says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Good news has come to all human beings, even to the poor and the blind and the prisoners and the oppressed. It's now possible for people, even people who thought they were untouchable, uh, to live in the kingdom of God. His kingdom has come. At the end of the story, we read that the people in Jesus' hometown were offended. They ran him out of town. But that didn't stop him. He kept teaching and he kept teaching and he's still teaching. It's interesting that the term teacher is used to describe Jesus more than 40 times in the gospels. And another 14 times he's called rabbi, which means the same thing. Jesus was a teacher and people came to him by the thousands. And there's a consistent response to Jesus's teaching. Matthew 13, 54. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? They were amazed because no one taught like this. We see the same thing, uh, the same kind of response in John chapter 7. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? 
In those days, the way you become a teacher is you would find a rabbi and study under him for years until he saw fit to commission you as a teacher. It was like graduate school. And they're saying, Jesus never went to graduate school. He has no credentials. How did he get so wise? In fact, it was Jesus' teaching that got him into trouble. Mark eleven eighteen. the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. People devoted their lives and risked death to be his students. And not just then. For over 2,000 years, the message of Jesus has captivated the human race. Like more books have been written about him than anyone else who has ever lived. And in this series, we get the opportunity to be students of the greatest teacher who ever lived. All right, in the time that remains, we're gonna look at why Jesus was such a great teacher. And we'll get to that in just a moment. I love what Matt just said, that we get the opportunity to be students of the greatest teacher who ever lived. Here's a question. What makes a successful student? Chances are you can picture in your mind what an ideal student looks like. You know, on time, always prepared, work completed, engaged in discussions, sought a teacher or a professor as a mentor. I know I'm describing you, aren't I? <laughs> or maybe not. In all of that, the key to a successful student is taking responsibility for yourself and your actions. In other words, you own your own learning experience. A student is a learner. And in the New Testament, a learner is called a disciple. And a disciple spends time with the teacher. The Sermon on the Mount is more than a TED Talk, and the Bible is more than a textbook. And approaching both as a student opens you to hear, experience, learn and live all that Jesus is saying. The key is that you have to own your own spiritual journey as a student of Jesus. We talk a lot about spiritual practices, actions and habits of your mind and body that promote spiritual growth. The reason we do so is because this hour a week we spend together is not enough to be a student, a learner, a disciple of Jesus. I'm jumping ahead, but at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that this way of life he's laying out, a life in the kingdom of God, is something to put into practice. When you engage in spiritual practices, you open yourself to the power of God's Spirit in you. Author Dallas Willard says, they enable us more and more to live in a power that is, strictly speaking, beyond us deriving from the spiritual realm itself. A successful student is not satisfied with an hour a week, and neither should we. If you're new to your faith in Jesus, or you're not sure what spiritual practices are, and you're ready to take a next step in your spiritual growth, email me at scotthouse at blueoakschurch.org. I would love to send you more information and a list of resources that will help you develop these actions and habits in your life and your journey with Jesus. Let's rejoin Matt and continue our look at Jesus as our teacher. All right, what I wanna do in the time that we have left is look at why Jesus is such a great teacher. 
Why do his teachings still profoundly move and shape human beings? Why is he the greatest teacher ever? And my hope in doing this is that you will be moved to say, I want Jesus to be my teacher. I wanna look at four reasons Jesus is the greatest teacher who ever lived. And the first reason is this, because of how he taught. There's a real consistent theme discussed in the New Testament about Jesus's teaching. Uh, Mark 1.22, Mark's beginning account of Jesus's teaching. Jesus teaches, and then Mark says, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. In Matthew 7, 28, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he had taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is repeated a number of times in the Gospels. How did Jesus teach? With authority. This astounded people. Why? Because none of the teachers of the law in that day spoke this way. The other teachers of the law, they studied and they quoted authoritative sources. And they would say something like this, you know, the law says we need to honor the Sabbath. And then they would say, you know, there's a teaching that says we honor the Sabbath by this. And then there's another teaching that says we honor the Sabbath by this. Like those teachers would never give an independent opinion. Well, Jesus got up in front of people and he said, this is just how it is. In fact, Jesus spent much of his time trying to clarify the distorted ideas of so-called religious experts. Jesus would say, you have heard it said, you know, this is conventional wisdom. And then what's the second half of that expression? But I say to you, Jesus taught with authority. And here's the truth about Jesus. He was right. People realized not long after hearing him teach, he was the smartest guy they had ever heard. Jesus knew how life works. And people who heard him and started to get it would say, man, this is the opportunity of a lifetime to learn from Jesus, the smartest man who ever lived, and to build my life around what he says. And that's what needs to happen for us as well. I'm gonna be praying throughout this series that Jesus, the teacher, will amaze us as we listen to the teaching of the most brilliant man who ever lived. All right, another reason Jesus is the greatest teacher who ever lived, and this is so beautiful, is because of who he taught. Jesus was the greatest teacher ever because he taught everyone. Here again, he's distinct from every other teacher of his day. And the, this point is related to the passage in Isaiah that we read in Luke 4, that Jesus comes to proclaim good news to everyone, including the poor, the prisoner, the blind, the oppressed, those that apparently were the least blessed, who apparently were in for bad news according to the kingdom of this world. When Jesus gathered together his disciples, they were the most unlikely group of disciples any teacher ever gathered. And the idea of having disciples was not unique to Jesus. Like all successful rabbis had that. But here's what was unique. Other rabbis would never go out and solicit disciples. I mean, that was kind of beneath the dignity of a successful rabbi. Getting high caliber disciples to seek them out, I mean, that was the mark of their status. They would take applications. Jesus went out and recruited. 
Not only did he go out and recruit, he went out and recruited people that no self-respecting rabbi would recruit, uh, uneducated fishermen and tax collectors who were considered corrupt traitors. Why would he do that? Because he was expressing the heart of God, who doesn't stand on his dignity, but goes out and searches for the lost sheep and the prodigal sons. So Jesus is the greatest teacher who ever lived because of how he taught and because of who he taught. And then the third thing is because of what he taught. Jesus taught about who God is. One of the things Jesus teaches is there's a whole new way of relating to God. Uh, Mark 14, 36, Jesus is praying and it says that he prays, Abba, Father. He calls God Abba. It's an Aramaic word and it means like tender father. Um, some people say it means something like daddy. Uh, I remember the first time Lily said dada. Uh, Kathy was feeding Lily while I was reading and at one point she asked Lily, where's daddy? And Lily looked over at me and she reached out her little hand and she said dada. And I, we were both amazed, you know, I stood up and started dancing around and grabbed Lily and hugged her and kissed her and told her how proud I was of her. A little while later, Kathy pointed to me and asked Lily again, who's that? And Lily said, Dada. I mean, it was probably one of the most precious moments of my life. And then later that night, Kathy asked Lily, like, what toy do you want to play with? Uh, and she said, Dada. Like, what do you want to eat? Dada. Who pooped their pants? Dada. <laughs> it's like everything was Dada. Now, in all of the Bible, there's no record of anyone using Abba, Daddy, to address God before Jesus. He opens up the possibility of intimacy with God deeper than anyone thought possible. He also taught his followers that they too could call God Abba. He taught them that that's who God is. And Jesus is just teaching here. He's saying, this is just the way things are. This is just who God is. All right, last thing. Jesus was the greatest teacher ever because his life backed up his teaching. He's an incredible teacher because of how he taught with authority, because of who he taught everyone, because of what he taught, the truth about who God is, and then fourth, because of how he lived. Because his life backed up his teaching. You know, parents often have a saying, my parents use this on me, do as I say, not as I do. Do you use that one? Uh, look at Matthew 23, 2-3. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. You know, they sit in the place of authority, so do what they tell you to do. Submit to their authority, but don't do what they do, for they don't practice what they preach. Jesus' disciples watched him when he wasn't in front of everyone, when he wasn't preaching his sermons. They watched him live what he taught. His life was simply nothing other than what he taught. His teaching lived out. They watched him every day, year after year. He never lied. He never lusted. He never gossiped. He was never greedy. He was never bitter. He was completely pure. He was incapable of arrogance. He was incapable of self-righteousness. I mean, can you imagine someone who is perfectly righteous, perfectly loving, and perfectly joyful? 
Can you imagine someone who's always right about everything, but you actually want to be around him? Like, I know people who think they're right about everything. I don't want to be around people like that. It's kind of a self-righteousness that's repulsive. Well, Jesus was right about everything, but people were drawn to him. It's what an amazing person Jesus is. Imagine that combination of virtue and avoidance of sin and humility, the kind of guy that prostitutes and tax collectors felt like they could just walk right up to. You know, so often in religious circles, when people are trying real hard to pursue spirituality, they become kind of unapproachable, like the rabbis in Jesus's day. But in Jesus, we see perfect spirituality. I mean, he's the most approachable person who ever lived. He was the most fully alive person his disciples had ever seen. Talk to someone who's had a near-death experience and is suddenly restored to life, and that person will be just overwhelmed for a few days about how good it is to be alive, what a gift life is. Well, Jesus was like that all the time. Every time he wakes up, he's just seized with gratitude at the miracle of life. Like little children are brought to him and he holds them and he loves them and he blesses them. He says, of such are the kingdom of God. Like he never gets jaded or cynical. He goes into the temple and there's corruption. Those who should be teaching God's people goodness are trying to exploit them. And this has been going on for a long time and no one's really shocked by it anymore. But Jesus was and he gets a whip and he drives them out. I mean, he's just completely alive. Power just flows through him and all of his miraculous works are evidence of his authority, that he just knows what he's doing. Dallas Willard put it like this, saying Jesus is Lord can mean very little in practice for anyone who has to hesitate in saying Jesus is smart. He always has the best information on everything and certainly on the things that matter most in the human life. So Jesus came to the synagogue 2,000 years ago and said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And they took offense to that. And they ran him off and they refused his offer. And we can't do that. We can't do that, not in this series. This, in this series on the Sermon on the Mount, we have the opportunity to learn from the Son of God, the smartest man who ever lived. All right, let me pray for you. God, I'm so grateful that we get to be students of the best teacher who ever lived. And I pray that some of us would make that decision right now, that we are going to receive Jesus as our teacher which means as we study the Sermon on the Mount moving forward, that we are gonna approach that with the understanding that we are learning from someone who knows more about life than anyone else who has ever, who has ever lived, that there's more wisdom in these teachings of Jesus than from anyone else who has ever lived. And we get this opportunity, this opportunity of a lifetime to learn from him and to do what he says. So help us to approach the rest of this Sermon on the Mount from this perspective. And God, I pray that we would learn from the teachings of Jesus and that we would apply it to our lives and that we would live it out and that we would actually get to experience living life in all its fullness, the way you designed us to live life. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. 
Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, And we hope to see you on Sunday soon.